Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 936. This week brought to you by Manage Engine, who are crafting IT management and cybersecurity solutions with its business partner in Ireland, Serverplex. We'll find out more about them later when we chat about the pros and cons of how automation is enabling remote working. But first, our Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson, is here live in the studio. Loads. Live and direct. Loads of news this week. Yeah. Um, I suppose the one that's making the headlines in the, in the last few days, Instagram. Instagram, yeah, yeah. Far be it for me to engage in a bit of schadenfreude when a large multinational corporation gets a bit of a, a bloody nose, um, especially when you find out where this money is actually going to go. Um, but yeah, Instagram has been fined 450 million euro by the Data Protection Commissioner. Um, it's actually more than they initially asked Europe to okay. They initially went to Europe and said, we've got all these breaches um, and this is what we want to find Instagram. And Europe said, you know what, you're not finding them enough. So uh, the production commissioner came good, back and went, good okay, you. What, what about this? And they're like, yeah, fine. Uh, Instagram, of course, has said, we're going to fight this in the courts. However, uh, or of course, Instagram's parent company, Meta, who, you know, big evil, basically. Mm. Um, so uh, here's what happened. Right. So this is a case over the disclosure or um, not, not quite leaking, but disclosure of emails and phone numbers of underage users. Right. Okay. So, so this is kids. Kids, this is kids who are uh, under 13 years of age, is it? Kids and teens okay. or, you know, humans in general, really. But this primarily affects kids and teens. OK. Because um, here's what happened. You've got a general Instagram account and things are set private by default and that's that's all hunky-dory, right? That's your personal account. If you want a business account, which comes with a couple of extra features, right? Analytics being top of them, mm-hmm. right? You have to convert, you know, to, your, to a business account. However, your business details are not private by default because if you're a business, right, you want people to be able to contact you seamlessly and easily. Right. So, you know, say we're, you know, we go from being Niall Kitson to Tech Radio or Tech Radio starts with a personal account. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then you swap over. How do I get to Tech Radio? Oh, immediately I can see, you know, the office phone number and the office email address. But of course, uh, you're saying now that uh, teenagers, when they were changing there, because teenagers, I mean, they're all selling and they're working and and the entrepreneurship is unbelievable. When they would go from a personal account to a business account, then they're office number and everything was published but of course they don't have an office yeah exactly and they don't have their own so they were putting their private phone number and their private email oh wow yes yes just a a simple little thing by default would have saved them an awful lot of money Um, Facebook has, has said well Meta has said you know a lot of learnings um, not quite saying mistakes were made, but a lot of learnings coming from this. Uh, by the way, we're going to appeal it. We're going to try not to pay this. Um, but it's scary how easily this happened. Go like, on, why? This didn't require people to jump through a lot of hoops to, uh, you know, end up exposing other people's personal data. This is something people ostensibly did to themselves because the, the safeguards, the very basic safeguards, mm. 
weren't in place. And essentially, it is set up as a business account. So they do tell you that your email address it will be public and your telephone number will be public, etc., etc. So more is probably about the uh, ability of teenagers who are under 18 years of age to be able to do that is probably where the problem is. Well, I mean, they, they, regardless of what the fine print says on these things, there's a fairly basic legal responsibility mm-hmm. on the part of companies to protect, you know, their customers, one, but children, especially. Mm. Um, and why would kids want business accounts? Well, they're, they're all into analytics and they want to see how their posts are doing. They want to see whether, you know, that picture of their dinner has done astoundingly well. Maybe they want to be an influencer. Maybe this is something they want mm-hmm. to find out for themselves. You know, can can I do this if mm-hmm. I want to? Um, you know, what sort of traffic is this getting? You know, where are people watching me from? This is all fascinating stuff. So to want sort of detailed analytics, very straightforward request, mm-hmm. not, shouldn't be a big deal. Um, to inadvertently give up your personal information and effectively allow email addresses and phone numbers to be harvested en masse by very unsavoury people, mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's not on. So 450 million, yeah, probably a, a reasonable price, but the damage has been done for an awful lot of people. Now, you're making faces like, eh. It's just, I, I, I don't think it's a case of the email address and the telephone number was made public because if you knew that that would be public information or whatever, it's, it's buyer beware, okay? Mm. Uh, I think they have been caught with the fact that for whatever reason, under 18-year-olds were being put in the same thing, so they should have had a restriction there. Hmm. Uh, that, that's kind of one thing. It's, whatever, they found it. Uh, they, they've been hit with that fine. Facebook, or, or sorry, Instagram, or sorry, Meta have just gone, yeah. oh, yeah, really sorry about that. Uh, must do better. How much? 450 million? Hang on a second. Mom! <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it doesn't make... However, there is, there is a silver lining to this story. Oh, right. What's your silver lining? Where is the 450 million euro going to straight into the Irish exchequer? Yes, it's ours. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Cha-ching. We just made, as a country, 450 million out of Mark Zuckerberg. That's a good day. That's a good thing. Winter is coming, not for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Free heating for all. Crank it up. (laughs) (laughs) However, 450 million euro. I mean, that, that, that considerable fine. Maybe not for uh, for Meta, but when you compare that to fines that have been hit elsewhere, it's peanuts. Yes. Uh, I mean, before we get too excited, uh, Google this week have been hit with a 4.5 billion euro fine. OK, now I'm, I'm not going by millions and billions, but that's about 10 times more Roughly, than the yeah, Meta. Yeah, OK, it, yeah. it is. 4.5 billion. All right. right. And the reason they have been, uh, this has happened to them, is this has been done under EU antitrust law, uh, which is being headed up by Marguerite Vestager, who I think was in charge of the digital single market for a little while before she moved up to, to antitrust. And her thing is reining in big tech, making sure they, they abide by the rules, especially GDPR, which of course is why Instagram got into so much trouble. Um, and uh, her argument, which has been upheld by the second highest court in the EU, I think, so um, Google is running out of avenues for this. Um, they have, uh, Europe said, Okay, when you buy an Android phone, it comes preloaded with the Google Play, with Chrome, with Google Drive, with all the regular Googles. No. 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 What happened? 
No, you can't do that. But but an Android phone is a Google phone. It is a Google phone with a Google operating system, yeah. but it does not mean you should be tied in to using Google apps because what is We're the first going thing? Back. We're going back to the good old days with Microsoft who would build in Internet Explorer with its operating system and da 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 da. And Google yes. are doing exactly the same thing. Yes. Exactly <laughs> not, the not same. Not learning thing. the lesson from what was it was 10 years ago, 2012, 2013 or something like Thereabouts. that. <laughs> and like Microsoft, it cost them. Uh, 500 million, 560 million, that bundling cost them. And now, wow. of course, you log on and you're given your choice of browser, okay. you know? So, so basically you're saying the fine was 4.5 billion. Okay, so uh. let's let's do the simple math again, right? Sure. Let's say it's 5 billion. Yeah. And they were, uh, Microsoft got stung for this 10 years ago for 500 million. Yeah. Wow. Inflation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's talking about inflation. Changing That's times. inflation. Yeah. Right there. I mean, when you've got a device that's, you know, the bulk of the market, mm. um, I mean, if you look at what could happen in the next few years, if the EU gets their way. Apple's App Store mightn't be the only app store you mm. have on your phone. Um, certainly, you know, with Google Play, seeing as Google are like, hey, we're open people and our app store is totes secure. Yeah. So uh, I definitely think, um, yeah, I mean, EU are really breaking some paradigms here. I mean, you know, for, for a long time, we thought, okay, uh, Apple would tell you that the software and the hardware are indivisible in yeah. their products. Um, Europe are saying that's a load of hooey. Well, you see, there's a difference between an operating system and a service. Yeah. Okay, so Windows is the operating system and Microsoft Word is the service. Mm -hmm. And as you say, Android is the operating system and Google Drive is a service mm -hmm. that goes with that. I mean, they... they and. You know, kind of from an entrepreneur's point of view, uh, I absolutely would side with Google on this in that if, if that's your platform, well, you should be pushing your own stuff. Mm. Uh, that's just business. All right. Um, and they did that with Google Shopping. I'm sure you remember they got a big fine for they that. They got a big they? fine for that. Yeah. And, and Google Ads uh, and, and they tweak it to their own uh, ways and means and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then, do you know what I mean? If it's your shop and it's your business, well, why wouldn't you? And I, I think it gets to this stage where when you get to be a certain size, well, then you're no longer a private company because yeah. you are essentially becoming a utility. Yeah. And that's 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 what's happened to Google over and over now. Mm. They got hit with preferential treatment in search for their Google shopping business, which mm -hmm. they, they since closed down. They've been hit with preferential treatment for advertisers on uh, Google Ads. Mm -hmm. uh, and now they've been hit with this um, because you... That's that's just uh, the rules. You have to yeah. set up an, a Google account to use your Android phone. Um, so you're already into their system, basically. Um, in total, Google have shipped eight billion euro in fines by the EU. Wow. Over these three investigations. Does, does that all go into the Irish uh, accounts? As well? <laughs> go, goes into Europe's coffers, I'm what, afraid. Whatever happened to 13 billion from Apple? Well, I've forgotten on that. <laughs> we successfully appealed that. Yeah. And then it's being appealed again, is it? Uh, no, that's it. That's uh, it. It's done. We're never getting that money. All right. Uh, elsewhere in the news this week. Now, Twitter is making uh, news on three fronts. Three fronts. OK, well, one. I can pick out two. You can okay. probably pick out another one. Okay. So uh, the first one, this was announced a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think we got around to saying anything about it. If you are a user of Twitter Blue, which is their subscription service, which is kind of aimed at businesses mm. uh, and tries, you know, a couple of, it's sort of a, a testing ground for new features, but there's also additional features there if, if one were so inclined. Um, they have introduced an edit button. 
At last. Oh, the fabled, the fabled edit button. Now, edit button. Twitter did not want, they resisted this for so long. Mm. And, uh, and their logic actually is very good, right? Because you put something up on Twitter and it's just, a, it's a short comment more than anything mm. else, all right? And those things get reposted everywhere. Mm. And people are screenshotting it and they're putting up into it and all that kind of stuff. And what people were doing was they put a tweet up and then there'll be a huge furore about it or whatever. And then they would go in uh, and, and the fear is that they would be able to edit that tweet to change it. Right. So that it wouldn't say, <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, if you were saying something uh, about the Queen or whatever, do you yeah. know what I mean? And, and you go back and you change one word, which completely changes the whole meaning of the thing. And then that would not be right because that's not what you said in the first place. Yeah. That's why they don't want the edit button. Mm. Well, they, they have a way around that. Uh, see what you think of this. Um, the edit function will only work for 30 minutes after you've posted the tweet mm-hmm. and you will only be able to edit it a limited number of times in that window. Ah, okay. All right. I, th- that's very generous. I would be, if I was Mr. Twitter mm. uh, or Mr. Musk, as Mr. Twitter will be shortly, <laughs> um, I would not allow that. I, I would have five minutes on that. Do you know what I Five think minutes. is great? Yeah, it's like email, all right? So you use like a little thing, so it's kind of like, okay, send the email, but mm. it actually, it sits there for like 60 seconds or mm. something like that before it actually sends. And it's always in those 60 seconds where you go, oh my God, I forgot. Or did I say, or did yeah. I include the attachment or, or whatever? And it gives you that little 60 second win. That's what I would have done. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, it's not coming our way anytime soon. This is in the trial stages. It's the usual suspects, US, Canada. Actually, no. New Zealand are getting access to this as well. New Zealand? Yeah. Oh, mate. That's, <laughs> well, I suppose all these sort of uh, techno-libertarian prepper types all have big houses down in New Zealand. <laughs> also making news with Twitter Blue, uh, again, the paid service, and again, I think only in the States, is that they have got this uh, Twitter Spaces tab, and they're using that now for podcasting. And they've been talking about it for quite a long time, but they've actually, actually rolled it out into the real world. And so if you are a Twitter Blue subscriber in the States, uh, now what you will see is a list of podcasts that are of interest to you and you can listen to them directly in the app. So it's nice for... It's pretty handy. Yeah. Yeah. And and listen, bring us up to date with uh, Mr. Musk. (laughs) Mr. Musk. Uh, We knew this would happen. (laughs) As soon as... Listen, you can't say we knew this was going to happen because it hasn't happened. Anything could happen now. What's the latest stage in the story? So Elon was going to buy it and then he said, I'll give you 44 billion for it or whatever it was. And then he went, actually, do you know what? Uh, Rubbish excuse, rubbish excuse, rubbish excuse. No, I'm not going to buy it. Yeah, the the story so far, uh, Elon Musk posted... uh, only I can fix Twitter kind of nonsense. Somebody, somebody posted like, please buy Twitter. And he's like, yeah, totes. Uh, completely forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, totes. But then it turned, uh, then he sort of issued a, you know, nonsense bid, which actually turned out to be quite amenable to the shareholders of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. We'll take it all. We'll, yeah. Sure. So anyway, uh, uh, so the, the, is, is he going to buy it? Is he going to be made to buy it? Yeah, OK. Here, here's the latest development on it. Um, Elon Musk said he would pay $44 billion for Twitter. Okay. Uh, Twitter, at the moment, as, as we are speaking, is valued at $32 billion. Okay. So there's a massive premium he has attached to it. And um, he backed out of the deal. 
initially. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I'm, I'm not buying it for that rate because, you know, I I knew there was, you know, uh, a lot of bots on Twitter. The official line is, you know, 5%. I think it's a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, I think the product that I would end up buying is not the product that I want, etc., okay. etc. Right. And th- this is after he signed the document saying, yeah, I'll buy it. N- nothing, nothing has been signed yet on his side. Right. What was signed, uh, well, signed, sealed, etc., uh, is on the shareholder side. Right. So they have accepted a bid that he hasn't signed off on yet. There's a document there. You mm. don't say I'm going to buy that global brand for 44 billion and not have to sign something. He has signed something. Yeah. Somewhere, and you can't put a plan to shareholders and say, this fella has offered us, do you want to take a yes or no? And we have a vote and everybody goes, yes. There's mm. a signature there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, latest thing from the shareholders is, do you know what? You said you'd buy it. Yay, we'll have it. <laughs> we will We will take your money, good sir. Yeah, off you go. Yeah, so uh, he's trying to back out of this, saying, uh, no, I, I'd rather not. Mm. Uh, it's going to court. Um, you might remember a couple of weeks ago. And actually, do you know what? It's not only going to court. It's mm-hmm. going to court fast. Yeah. They're, I mean, they are not hanging around on this. They were meant to hear it this month, I think. And he said, uh, no, I need blah, 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 blah. And I think the court went, OK, we'll give you another uh, two weeks. Or something. I think it's going to be heard in October. Wow, that's super quick. Yeah, super it, it quick. Is, yeah, and you know, it's only a couple of weeks ago that their head of security came out uh, mysteriously. <laughs> what did he say? And said Twitter's security is useless. Oh uh, no, Jay, really, really? <laughs> you think so? That's almost like coming out and saying uh, Twitter has a moderation problem. There are a lot of bullies on Twitter. <laughs> It's not very nice. Goodness, goodness, goodness. Well, there we go. Listen, a busy week in News Nile, as always. Mm. Thanks for keeping us up to date. Do remember, you get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland and around the globe with hourly updates, daily newsletters as well for you, and more at our website, techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. There's more to remote working than deciding one day that we're just not going to go into the office five days a week anymore. Often, a big change like that requires a change in the company's culture, the technology that's underpinning it, and even our own way of thinking. Prem Maswaran is a senior technical evangelist and IT service expert at Manage Engine, and he chatted with Niall Kitson about the pros and cons of how automation is enabling our new style of work. Prem, I suppose the main lesson over the last few years has been, I guess, the nature of culture-driven technologies and technology-driven cultures uh, in the workplace and finding out the kind of technologies that will enable people to maintain productivity, but also balancing that with security and making sure that the technologies that are adopted uh, are actually not just fulfilling needs, but are doing so safely as well. Is that sort of a fair jumping off point? So I've been talking about how culture can drive technology and technology can drive cultures. So uh, one of the important points that we have to understand is you know, now hybrid work is a culture that needs a lot of technology uh, changes within the organizations and with ourselves as well. You know, a decade back, many of the things that we do today were not possible because of bandwidth 
a technology that was delivered to us to endpoints that we use like mobile phones and laptop computers, the way we work has completely changed. DevOps as a culture was made possible because of these technology changes. So we were able to practice agile project management practices. We were able to apply DevOps development principles because of technologies that were evolving over a decade. Similarly, hybrid work has become a culture nowadays. Now, if you if you are on a recruitment drive, if you are trying to recruit a new candidate, the first thing they ask is, should I have to work from office? Should I have to come to the office? The mindset has completely changed. So does the technologies that we were using in the organizations. It has to evolve to adapt to hybrid work as a culture. So many organizations, especially financial institutions, were so, I would say, reluctant to embrace technologies because of security practices that were there in the organization. So most of the times, computers never left the organization's premises. So suddenly when the pandemic hit us, these organizations were not ready, right? So they were not ready to embrace the change and they were not ready to enable work from home or hybrid work as a culture. And, uh, you know, some technologies come as a package, right? So uh, as soon as we had started working from home, we had to enable our end users to work from anywhere, from any network that they want to use. So within an organization, networks are secure and we don't have to worry about data as an asset. But now, employees are working from anywhere and everywhere, right? From multiple different devices, not only organization-provided devices, they can even access resources from third-party devices. So we have to be uh, very careful with our approach. And that is what I mean, uh, hybrid work-driven technologies, right? So uh, principles like zero trust become very important. It got prominence nowadays, right? So uh, data has been moving to different locations, to different devices, and it has to be secured. We have to ensure security and privacy, uh, and we have to embrace a lot of different technologies to make sure that this hybrid work as a culture works in a positive way, right? So few technologies that I can name, you know, uh, for example, uh, implementing zero trust is not just a click of a mouse. So we have to develop a lot of different practices. We have to use a lot of different solutions that has to run on our devices to ensure that the data that has been moving to different devices and uh, locations are secure enough, right? So uh, I would say hybrid work demands that. Right, so hybrid work also has seen an increased adaptation of adaption of uh, cloud technologies. So VPN is always a problem, and especially when you are working from home, especially when you are working from uh, different locations, uh, VPN is unreliable. And because of which, many organizations I have seen have moved to cloud solutions, and they use predominantly cloud applications. Right, and also an increased demand for automation because we had a lot of interpersonal connection. I would say we talked to each other in a very effective way, but now collaboration took a little bit of time and you know we had to use the different technologies to collaborate effectively. And because of which, uh, you know, the need for integration has grown. 
we do not have the luxury to spend human resources for some simple tasks and now we had to integrate we have to automate and all this has to be applied even to departments uh, within an organization that were not heavily relying on technologies they are now asking for uh, you know more integration and automation as an approach so when we're looking at automation are we looking to replace those sort of spontaneous moments in the workplace where people might sort of come up with a, an idea that might change somebody's practices as an alternative? Are you looking to make existing practices more efficient or just happening in the background without anyone thinking about them? Okay, that's an interesting question. So uh, when you see it work, all right, so if you try to deconstruct the work that is done within an organization, uh, I would create a spectrum of roles that can deliver the work. All right, so on one end of the spectrum, we have a lot of redundant, repetitive tasks. Uh, conventionally, we used to employ a resource to do such tasks because we did not have a technology solution back then. All right, on the other end of the spectrum, we have a complex set of tasks. So say, for example, analysts, all right? So they have to look into data developed or data sourced from multiple data points. Now we have a lot of connected devices. We have a lot of connected applications and servers generating a lot of data. And assimilating this data requires analyst skills. Conventionally, uh, say, for example, IT did not have uh, the resources or luxury to have an analyst employed. So this is complex set of tasks that requires uh, maybe an intelligence. In between these two ends of the spectrum, there is a lot of work that humans have to do. So what I, I, I'm, my approach towards automation is to address these two ends of the spectrum. On one end, we have very repetitive, boring, mundane tasks that we use human resources to deliver because of lack of automation back then. But because, uh, since we have a lot of new approaches today, we can automate, we can employ machine learning, we can employ uh, you know, machine learning models to take care of that. On the other end of the spectrum, we have got complex tasks. Once again, we can employ uh, intelligence to assimilate information from multiple data sources because when too much notifications, too much data is generated from a lot of touch points within an organization, most of the times it goes untouched. We do not have, uh, I would say, we do not develop any insights out of that data. All right. So now we can employ automation. We can employ machine learning. We can employ new technologies to convert this data into insights and take informed decisions and contextual actions. So that is where we can employ automation as a technology to take care of these two ends of the spectrum, wherein human resources within an organization can focus on what is essential, all right? And they can improvise and move forward in the direction in such a way that can play a part into the development of the business holistically. In mentioning sort of the automation of repetitive tasks, freeing people up to do more interesting work, it actually has created that space for new roles like the data analyst to come into uh, organizations. However, 
as with any new role, there is that initial scarcity of expertise. So how do you find companies are dealing with that skills gap that will ultimately help them in the long term by identifying more of these repetitive tasks and teeing them up for automation? Once again, uh the need for automation, the need for bringing in new roles within an organization requires a change in the mindset in the first place, I would say. Right. So once you identify the problems that you have in your system, that is when you can employ new roles. You can employ new technologies to take care of what's going wrong. So I have seen many organizations kind of reinventing themselves, identifying bottlenecks in their processes and to identify bottlenecks the first step that they do is to analyze what's going wrong rely on insights all right so employ tools that can do that uh, instead of resources so say for example you have a very effective analytical tool that can give you insights from multiple data points that are generating a big data now with that insights you can take corrective measures in your process, identify bottlenecks, invent new roles to address the bottlenecks, invent new solutions to kind of address the bottlenecks. So that is the first step that you have to take, and that requires a mindset, a mindset shift, all right? And that is made possible, especially, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, we had to like rush things, rush with the projects that were waiting for a lot of years. Now it, it got a push and we were able to realize a lot of different things in a very short term, all right? So now, uh, uh, I would say automation is kind of giving solutions to a lot of bottlenecks, but how to apply the automation, all right? So say IT has expertise. IT as a department will always have an upper hand. They have expertise on creating new automations and taking care of redundant jobs, applying scripts, applying machine learning models and all that. What about other departments within an organization? How do we achieve enterprise level automation without the skill set uh, you know, that is needed to create automation? So that is where uh, IT has to play the role of, uh, I would say, democratizing technologies to other departments educating the other departments to use technologies such as low-code and no-code platforms to create automation. Most departments, say, for example, HR operations or finance or facilities, they know what has to be automated. They know what are the bottlenecks. But the problem is they rely on IT to fix that for them. They have to involve an IT engineer to write a script or create an automation to take care of uh, bottlenecks. But now, if you democratize technology, because IT do not have the bandwidth to take care of all the department's requirement, and it will take a long time. So we cannot go with guarding the technology. Instead, we have to make it democratized. It has to be accessible by other departments wherein they can develop, script, develop scripts, develop automation on their own. So that is the kind of approach that organizations have to take if they want to achieve an enterprise level automation, right? So once you democratize with technologies like no-code and low-code with a drag and drop interface, now non-IT departments can create processes, non-IT departments can create intelligent scripted actions 
all right? So that way, they can apply automation as a solution for bottlenecks and achieve high-velocity processes within their organizations. That's really interesting, the point of uh, democratization, because you are uh, handing off effectively control uh, of the IT estate in some respects um, to individual departments instead of the IT department. Does that open up a space for greater project management roles where there should be sort of a unified oversight, if not uh, a unified application of skills that, as you say, organizations don't have the bandwidth to develop? Or are we going to see more of these kind of ad hoc department by department solutions? Okay, the best approach, uh, in my perspective, in my opinion, would be to give the liberty to non-IT departments. So instead of handling it as, as a holistic operation, because that's a huge chunk of activity, it's a large project uh, that cannot be overseen, uh, I would say give the liberty to non-IT departments, but with control and regulation. Because when you automate inherently automation has vulnerabilities. And when it is handed over to non-technology users, the risk grows multifold. Now we have to somehow regulate giving automation as a technology to non-IT departments and non-IT users uh, through no-code and low-code platforms. That should be security by design, that should be secure privacy by design in this automation, which has to be regulated by IT. Instead, uh, I, I wouldn't recommend to see that as a huge project on an organizational level. Instead, we can allow the non-IT departments and other users to embrace these technologies, try it on their own, come up with new solutions. So that is the true meaning of democratization, right? So we want to hand it over to the owners themselves, let them play with it, let them develop the technologies that are required. Once that is done, I would say eventually we'll achieve the enterprise automation that we have been hoping for, right? So I would never recommend it to be taken as a holistic project. Instead, it can be taken as an independent activity by all the other departments and all the stakeholders, uh, and they can in turn, achieve enterprise automation once they effectively use these technologies. Coming back then just to the, the point of technology-driven culture then, when you have organizations so distributed across, um, you know, people working from home, maybe people on the road, some people coming back into the office, when you're talking about automation, it is so important to have these discussions, as you say, to identify bottlenecks, some of which might be obvious to one person and not so obvious to another. Are you seeing departments sit down and going, okay, what are the problems we're actually seeing as a whole? Or is it individuals sort of discovering, here's something I can do, let me automate that, that myself. Can you get down to that granular level of control where people will be able to organize their own workflows uh, independently? To answer your question, I would say, uh, let's take an example, all right? So suddenly when the pandemic hit us, a lot of organizations were not well collaborated digitally. Right, so we used to talk to different departments over phone. We used to talk to different departments directly walking to their office. And that way, processes were moving smoothly. But once the pandemic hit, 
the employee force were distributed. And slowly after a point in time, we had to recruit new resources. So onboarding new employees into the organization requires collaboration of multiple departments. They have to be orchestrated. They have to work like a clockwork to deliver onboarding because it involves a lot of tasks, all right? So conventionally, which were done in-house within an organization has to be done digitally. HR has to be prepared to kind of deliver uh, the induction over virtual meetings, all right? So similarly, IT has to deliver a lot of services remotely to the employee and sending IT assets remotely to the employee. So now all this has to happen with well-collaborated departments within an organization. And that was not the case uh, when the pandemic hit us. And that is when most departments realized the flaws in their processes, the need for automation and the need for increased collaboration, the need for integrating the applications that they use, right? So that data collected by one department is transparently shared with the other department. Let me give you a, a real-time example about this. You know, uh, we did a lot of case studies during this pandemic for uh, our company, all right? So we realized that every department within an organization collects information from the new candidate that they are going to recruit. And this information can be used to deliver services to, at their doorstep. But unfortunately, because of the lack of integration between multiple different tools used by different departments, this information is contained with one department. Ultimately, the employee, uh, the new candidate who's going to join the organization, ends up sending the information to multiple people. They play the role of the coordinator most of the times to coordinate all these different departments to get the services that they want. And ultimately, that results in a very bad day one experience. And these kind of large level operation that requires the involvement of multiple departments makes the organization understand where they lack, what are the problems that are there in the processes. And that is a realization point, I would say, for most departments and most organizations. And that is when they started looking at the bottlenecks that I was talking about. All right, they started realizing the lack of integration and what problems it can create when you try to work with a distributed workforce, trying to onboard a new recruit completely virtually. You have to adapt, otherwise you cannot continue running your business. So you have to somehow make it work. And that is a realization point when uh, departments, I would say, uh, as you say, a digital champion uh, evolved in each and every department. They started looking at the problems and bottlenecks and they started looking at technology solutions that can solve these problems and how it can be easily adapted by all the different departments to achieve uh, uh, the wanted enterprise level automation. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Prem Maswaran from Manage Engine. You can find out more about them at manageengine.com or through their Irish partner, Serverplex, at serverplex.com. The links for both of those in the show notes for you. Even better, uh, we're going to have speakers from both of those companies with us online at TechFire on the 21st of September to discuss endpoint security. To learn more about how you can join us for that, visit techfire.ie. 
That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.